Hi, I'm Jay Harrison G. Hi, I'm Kevin Smith Kirkwood. Hi, I'm Nick Rashad Burroughs. Hey, I'm Kyle Taylor Parker, and you're listening to the Call and Response Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Call and Response Podcast with Felicia Fitzpatrick. And I know every week I'm like, I'm so hyped, I'm so thrilled, I'm so excited. Because it's true, because there are so many amazing artists out here, y'all. This week, no exception. Um, you, the audience, the listeners, y'all will know him from Smokey Joe's Cafe, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Kinky Boots, the Jesus Christ Superstar Live. Like, y'all know him. I've known him. But we're just, like, officially meeting today. We're getting double doses of each other. And I'm so excited to introduce um, this theater artist, this creative, and and hear all about the projects he's been working on during the Rona, as well as before. Uh, give it up for Kyle Taylor Parker, y'all. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I like to imagine a uh, you know imaginary audience cheering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, hello. So you're you're reporting live from Harlem as well. Yes, I am. Have you been in New York City the whole time? I have been in New York City the entire, you know, yeah, Life pandemic. shut down. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I know it's people, you know, I've talked to that I know from, from other cities are like, how has it been? And I'm like, honestly, I've gotten to know my area, like my neighborhood, my immediate neighborhood so much better because I'm not spending so much time in Midtown in the theater district. Do you feel the same way? Absolutely. Uh, my partner and I have just ventured all through New York City, like tourists in our own city. Right, um, right. And it's just been great, just walking. In the beginning, when that's all you could do, we'd walk from Harlem. One day we took a walk all the way down to um, Ground Zero and back. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> just because. Impressive. Very <laughs> impressive. I love it. Uh, well, I'm so excited to chat with you today because, like, yeah, you have also been very productive, we know, um, with Broadway Soul Volume 2 during the Rona times. Um so I'm excited to hear all about your journey today. And the question I'd love to start off with for the podcast is how did you get involved in performing arts? Yeah, I, um, my mom will probably say that it was all, like inevitable that I was always kind of performing since I was a kid, mm. but I would say it really clicked uh, when I was maybe around like six or eight. My parents went through like a divorce and that was really hard for me. My mom got mm. me into an acting class just so I'd have something to do that a kid can do away from their parent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I fell in love. I was a really shy person, a shy kid. I think I still kind of am sometimes, but in acting class, I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. And so my mom kept me in it. And as I kept doing it, teachers started saying, oh, wow, there's something here. You should really nurture this. So I started going to more competitive programs. And then I made a life doing this, you know? Wow, that's very cool. Shout out to mom. Yeah, she's the best. And where, where'd you grow up? A little bit of everywhere. So my mom works in public health. I'm originally from D.C., but I spent three years in the Ivory Coast in West Africa while she worked with cool. USAID for Prevention and Awareness of HIV and AIDS. Then after that, I moved to Wisconsin. Um, I literally I lived through the, the Ivorian coup d'etat. And uh-huh. so we moved from there to... Uh, Wisconsin and then I moved here for New York for college wow wait that's so cool so so what do you remember of your time living on the Ivory Coast um it was incredible I felt like a I mean it was kind of upside down right because their life is so wonderful um a middle class person can live like a king essentially Mm, mm -hmm. and I was at that point I was full tilt boogie obsessed with theater 
Okay. And so I would make anybody listen to me who would, and I would <laughs> sit and sing, and I had an audience any place I went. Like I kind of felt like I was the Macaulay Culkin of the Ivory Coast, <laughs> like that <laughs> precocious loved kid. Yes. Um, yeah. And then during oh, wow. the, so I'd spend the year there, and then summer would be with my dad in D.C., and I'd do some kind of theater camp. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a mix of, of it's a different worlds. That's very cool. Yeah. So how did you, when you're in D.C., Ivory Coast, Wisconsin, wherever you were, like, well, what else were you doing to be engaged? Like, talk me through that. that. Right. So when I was there, my mom kind of learned about me very quickly that she, no matter where we went, she'd have to find something for me to do creatively. Mm. Um, so she, there, she got me into African dance classes, um, mm. but actually in Africa. So now I look back on it as right. like, wow, I was spoiled. And um, also yeah. like drumming lessons there. And my family would send me videos of like movie musicals because that's what I love. Mm. And after school, mm-hmm. I'd watch The Sound of Music way too close to the television over and over again. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. In love. Yeah. Well, but, and that's like, you know, what I think our generation and obviously the generation before is that's all we had. Like, I think about these kids now and they're getting Instagram takeovers. They get just like Snapchat behind the scenes, TikTok, this and this and that. I'm like, I would have loved to be able to like hear my favorite performers talk about their craft on social. I'm like, wow, y'all. But um, you're lucky. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Children, you're lucky. Um. But that's very cool. So who who were some of the artists uh, that you were looking up to as you started to to you know take the art or pursue the art seriously? Yeah, um, I really Michael Jackson, young Michael Jackson was a favorite of mm-hmm. mine. I had the the disc set of the Jackson Five, and that would be my act that I would take around uh-huh. and listen to me sing Ben um, yes. <laughs> before my voice changed. So <laughs> that, and then I was a weird kid. It's always been like soul music, and then. Broadway, but like classical, classical Broadway. Um, mm. So I really loved, but Black Broadway inspiration, like when you see it, you can be it kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, Andre DeShields, Nell Carter, mm. Lilius mm. White. Um, those were always like the big idea. Ben Vereen, those were like the big idea for me. Billy Porter, right. of course. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think of young Kyle. And then you make it to New York for college and, and you're getting to go to Broadway shows. Like what? what emotionally was that like for you uh it was thrilling and it was that feeling of like this is exactly where I'm supposed to be I think I spent a lot of my life moving around um and so when you ask me the question where are you from where'd you grow up that's a hard question because I never felt like I really had a a strong sense of belonging anywhere except Mm. when I moved to New York City I was like this is the plan here we are Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you think it was when you moved to New York that it clicked that you wanted to pursue it professionally or had you already known back when you were performing, you know, your, your routines for people that you were like, I'm going to do this professionally. I I knew, I knew knew then, but I didn't, I think what changed when I got to New York was the how, when I was Mm. a kid, I used to, again, I was precocious. I used to tell people like (laughs) career day was my favorite because I knew since I was like six or seven. So I'd say, I want to be a performing artist and a performing Mm -hmm. artist is an X, Y, and Z. And now that I'm, here and I'm doing it I don't I really don't remember when it changed but the performing part changed and the sharing part and the imaginative part and the human part really got louder I'm more interested in that than being a a showman kind of thing yeah yeah so do you remember what your first audition was in New York 
Yes, I convinced my mother when I was 13 years old. Uh, maybe I was 12. I convinced my mother to <laughs> take us on a trip to New York to audition for The Lion King as young <gasps> Simba. Come um, on. I was like, ju- I was the oldest you could be to audition for it, right? Okay. And it was a big cattle call. And the internet was like just starting then, right? So yeah. I saw this online and I showed my mother and I had to convince her that I would, I was good enough to audition. Um, so first audition for her, then we go to this big cattle call and then I make it all the way to the end of the day and they pulled out the tape measure. Oh. And I was, I remember standing against the wall and trying to shrink myself and the monitor saying, come on, you have to stand up. And I stood up and it was a wrap. (laughs) And I just cried and cried. I waited until I got out of, we were in Jersey auditioning. I waited until I got out of the, you know, space and started crying and. That was my mm-hmm. first bit of rejection. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but that's so it makes it so much harder that it wasn't your talent. It was literally just your height. Maybe, you know, we never know. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? But how cool that my mom like believed in me to say, like, we're doing this. Let's go to New York yeah. City and audition. So Yeah. And you're like, I'm ready. And so yeah, you really always have been ready for it. I th- I think so. <laughs> wow. What were some of the f- other like learning experiences you had or you know challenges or anything during that first year when you were here for college um I think my biggest challenge is when I was here for college getting out of my head like the box of what I should be what in my Mm. mind I was like I'm here to be a version of Andre de Shields I'm here to be a version of and so I uh, had a friend who went to NYU and invited me to this master class that Andre de Shields was having in Brooklyn and I said, oh, wow. we're going to go meet the Wiz. Let's do this. So, yes. <laughs> so excited. Yes. I go there and he's, you know, he's just fantastic. And everything of he course. says is just, it, it will take a lifetime for you to really understand what he's mm-hmm. sharing with you. So after I walk up to him and I say, thank you so much for today. I want to be you when I, you know, it, this, I want to be you in this business. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me and he says, well, that's a waste. You'll spend your entire, he goes, I'm already here. So you're going to spend your entire life trying to be me. And one day you'll look up and I'll be gone and you'll be left with the question, who are you? That was my first year in New York City. Oh. Unlocked everything for me of like, you know. (laughs) That is some Andre DeShields, like, of course, some wisdom right then and there. Yeah. Wow. You know, he's an earth sign too. He's a Capricorn. Oh, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So I feel this. That is, <laughs> I mean, but what a beautiful life lesson to get your first year here. Yeah. Huge. And you I think know? it's really shaped the way I do things. Yeah. How so? Um, well, it's been interesting that then my first big Broadway thing is replacing a, you know, an iconic individual who very similarly to Andre DeShields operates on his own plane of existence like he knows who he is so well replacing him and having the same conversation with someone else um saying okay leave billy at the theater you need to go be you Mm. you know Mm -hmm. so now everything i do i try to just infuse with the truest parts of me Mm -hmm. and that's sometimes it's really scary because you have to really get in tune with that and say like are you really happening to this are you just kind of faking it um Mm -hmm. And so now everything I do, I just fill with me. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And that, that can be hard, I imagine, sometimes. Like, this is, 
this industry is just i mean it's constant critique it feels like especially for you know actors and theater makers like auditions but then even once you get past the audition and you're performing critics you know what i'm saying social media like what uh, what how, how do you navigate that like you know how do you stay true to to you um i try to think about why why i'm doing anything mm. um and and for who for whom you know and that kind of keeps me in check. I think the scariest thing about being yourself is, for me, is will they get it? Will they get who I am? Mm. And once I start understanding that, you know, casting and working on shows and theater, it's all relationships. And some people just aren't your people. They won't get mm. you. It doesn't mean that you're wrong. It just means, you know, Oprah Winfrey, you cannot live a brave life without disappointing some people. You can change the disappointing to whatever word you want it to be. But I think that applies to being brave in art. You cannot be brave without having someone looking and saying, huh, what's that? I don't get it. That's okay. Mm -hmm. And I had to, I had to get okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lesson that, well, I certainly need to hear right now, but like, I think a lot of people can relate to, um, really embracing your authenticity and your truth. Um, but I do feel like, you know, kinky boots is absolutely a, a story that hammers that home. (laughs) Um, it certainly does so I want to hear I mean we'll do soup to nuts like I want to hear about the audition experience and and we'll work our way through so tell me about your audition experience with kinky boots perfect so I was actually (laughs) on the road with um the national tour of in the heights when this popped up amazing and I well I don't want to get too far into that but I used to sell merchandise for in the heights on Broadway when I was in college and I would sit in the back of the theater and I said, I'm going to be in the show someday. I watched <gasps> Joshua Henry like no one's business. And I was like, this is my track. And I got yes! it. And it was my track. <laughs> yes. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> so I'm there on the road. And again, I went back to that small minded thinking of like, there is a course. I'm going to be a version of someone else. Like, I think I always kind of go back to that safety. And the phone rings for this audition for Kinky Boots. A week before everyone in the dressing room was talking about Kinky Boots. And I I was like, I'd never done drag. I really wasn't into drag at the time. So Mm -hmm. I said, okay, you guys go do that. That's not for me. And the phone rings and they say, so we want you to audition to cover Billy Porter. Love Billy Porter. (laughs) Um, So I guess I need to figure out this drag situation, huh? Yeah. And um, the woman who was playing Vanessa on the tour taught me how to walk in heels in the dressing, in our hotels. And um, there was a British um, actress, Chloe Campbell. She was in King Kong. She was on tour Mm -hmm. in the Heights at the time. She's British. She taught me my British accent for the audition. Um, I had, I think, four or five days to work on everything. I had to beg the producers to let me miss a show and fly to New York to have this audition. Um, Mm. And it really was a kind of begging. (laughs) And they were like, sure, fine, go. So I went. And my first audition was for Jerry Mitchell. <gasps> um, and so I go in. Casual. The, yeah, casual. I go in, I do Land of Lola. And then I finish Land of Lola and he goes, okay, let's do it again. Can you hold the last note out like as long as you think possible? And I go, oh, okay. So then I do it again. He goes, that's how you button a number. And I go, oh, okay, <gasps> got it. And then I leave and I get a call saying, oh, no, he said to me in the room, he goes, so we're going to call you back here in two weeks um, to, for an angel. I don't know what an angel was. I'm thinking teen angel. I'm thinking, okay, great, wonderful, Jerry, whatever you want. So he goes, for an angel. Um, but we want to see you 
walk in heels. I didn't wear heels to the first audition. He said, we mm. want to see you walk in heels. Um, no drag, just heels and dress older. Because um, I was 23. Okay. And so he's like, and dress older. Okay. Older and in heels. So I run around the city trying to find a pair of heels at X, Y, and Z. I have to beg the producers to let me out again. Ooh. And the one producer says, so what do you think this is? You think you're really going to get this? Was the question on the phone. And I feel like that was like the universe asking me this question. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't just him. And I said, I'll never know if I don't try. So at the end of the day, thank you for everything. You've gotten me to this point. Cause you know, he's like, we could say the success of the show and this, is the non-union tour of in the Heights, by the way. Right. Right. Um, so he says, which is fabulous, but I just want to, tell you this is where I am in my life and career so right he says we've gotten you this far um don't you think the success is because of us I said yes it is and for that reason you should want me to go to see how far mm. this train can go mm-hmm. and so he let me go and I mean I'm just faking it till I make it go to the final mm-hmm. callback everybody's there but Cindy and I do the audition I do the scenes I do the da 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 and afterward Harvey asks if I want a cupcake, he has a bunch of cupcakes at his table. And I know. And it's the day after the Tony Awards. Huge. Okay. So wow. I walk up to the table and I'm sitting, I'm a, a, a brainy, I overthink things. So I'm looking, I'm thinking, if I choose the wrong cupcake, I'm not going to get this job. I have to choose the <laughs> right cupcake. And I was wearing a pink shirt. I grabbed the pink cupcake and um, he goes, good choice. <laughs> and I'm Oof. like, yeah, crying. Right. The next day my mom's like, I think you got it, Kyle. I said, no, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. She, I said, I got a cupcake. I didn't get a job. <laughs> she says, uh, you got it. I hide my phone for myself all day long because I do that sometimes. I hide my phone so I don't keep looking at it. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I was in the corner of 72nd and Columbus. And I decided, okay. let me just check it. I check it. And my agent says, you know, we have no feedback from you because they just are good. They're going to give it to you when you start rehearsal because you got the show and I was screaming on the street in front of everyone it was such a happy day oh that is amazing I know the exact (laughs) corner you're talking about so I'm picturing you there that is incredible how what a joyful moment so happy yeah yeah so I mean right so it's like this whole thing where you really like I mean, you knew what you were doing, but you leapt into the unknown a little bit in terms of yep. like, I'm going to just do this audition. You, like you said, you had not done drag before. What what were your your feelings and, and experiences doing drag for the first time? Um, It was so wild. I mean, I was so young and so actory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I look back on it, I'm like, man, just take a deep breath and laugh a little. I was mm-hmm. so serious. And I think because I was the youngest member of the company, I hadn't mm-hmm. done any of the workshops before I ended up not covering Billy um, because they felt I was too young, but I was watching him. So I think I was just like, I approached, and I think this is what helped me with Lola. I approached uh, my angel as like a full blown person. Um, I think if I had it to do again, I would have more fun with creating like a drag persona, but instead Mm. I like was going for like the humanity and the person of it. So I made myself the youngest. I made myself, um, you know, I endeared the earrings. I had these like diamond studded earrings and I 
uh, said that Lola gave them to me. I just wanted anything for Lola. I would do anything for Lola. She saved right. my life. It was kind of, I just went for character. I was awful at makeup. The makeup was horrendous. I used to sweat just thinking about putting it on. So there you go. It was just nothing. <laughs> but so did y'all, ha- y'all had to do your own makeup for the show? Yep. The angels do their own makeup. Angels. Yeah. Did they have a tutorial at all, or were there other people that were familiar with drag that could help? There were some people who were familiar with drag. Um, when we did the Vanity Fair um, shoot, they had mm-hmm. a makeup person for Billy and for me, because that's how bad I was at makeup. <laughs> like, was like, I mean, some days it would be okay, some days it would be awful. I would say, you know, if it looked really bad, girl, you have to dance. You better dance right. your butt off to make up for this <laughs> makeup. So <laughs> that part, but you know, Joey Taranto was stunning as an angel and he would help mm. some of the girls out. Um, but I love most about that is we really had a, a brotherhood, sisterhood kind of thing in that dressing room. I grew up in that dressing room. Right, right. Of course. That's what I was going to ask about too. Like really putting that show together. I wanted to, I guess, hear about the camaraderie between all of y'all because I feel like that is a special experience to go through together. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, especially because the show meant so much to us and to a lot of people seeing it. Like they saw themselves in the show. So mm-hmm. that was definitely healing and bonding. And then all the first, right? Like the first TV performance. For me, I, it was my first everything. It's my first TV performance. Yeah. It was my first opening night, my first Tony Awards. Um, and I'm sitting here with my heroes. You know, I always wanted to work yeah. with Jerry Mitchell. When Hairspray closed, I cried because I said, I'll never be on Broadway. Because <laughs> I, you know, to me, again, yeah. small minded thinking, I was like, uh, that's the package. It should be that. And what I've learned wow. from my life is all the shoulds are a waste of my time. Mm. But the possibilities and the coulds and the well maybes and the openness, that's where the gold is. You know, mm-hmm. really investigating the possibilities of myself. Oh, I, investigating the possibilities is, I like that as like an affirmation. Yes. Uh, <laughs> come on. So, and, and um, yeah, I, I, you touched on this a little bit too, because it is such a powerful story. I think in a very specific way. Um, obviously it's been a while since I've seen it, but, but from remembering it, you know, it's like you have Lola who is unapologetic, loud and proud, and and that is celebrated and obviously tested in some ways but like i think what's so interesting about kinky boots is it also shows the other perspective without like just fully putting it down and it's you know it's because it it is fascinating because it is like this closed-minded perspective but it's examining it without dismissing it which i think allows for like the conversation and i know someone who as a gay man and and he took his mom who's conservative because he was like i need you to see this i need you to see me i need you to understand me um and obviously that journey and that like process you know takes longer than just seeing a show one night but i think it helped in the conversation they were having about it Mm -hmm. so i i wanted to hear i guess your thoughts about you know kind of working through that and then also if you had any stories from like the stage door of people being like this changed my life yeah, every single time at the stage door from the beginning. Wow. That's I think when we knew we really had something special is that the way people responded and they didn't want to leave the theater when it was done. So at the stage door, you hear so many stories of people really seeing themselves in the character in the characters. Mm-hmm. Then when I went on to play Lola, you really get a first-hand glance at it. I mean, I have a scrapbook of all of the letters that were sent to me from different fans telling their wow. story about, you know, 
why the show is important to them and how they see themselves. And I took it to every dressing room that I ever went to on tour and same, you know, when I've had to do the show again to remember why we're doing it, because it is a lot of mm-hmm. fun. Um, but it's also something really important. Yeah, absolutely. And the song, it's escaping me now that the ballad that's at the end, Not My Father's Son. Uh, or Hold Me Your Heart, the one in the white dress, the big or the... Yeah. Yeah, I I think that one because it's it's when it's right before Lola's like talking to her dad. Yep, hold me in your heart. Hold me in your heart. Um that is a powerful moment. Yeah. Like I I mean, you know, I I just definitely wept during that moment the first time I saw. I remember being like blown away of the vulnerability in that moment. Yeah. I mean, that song healed me. Um I lost my father during the first year of the show. Oh, I'm so sorry. And thank you. And our relationship was something I never really got to sit down and think about. Um, Mm -hmm. I think father-son relationships are always complicated. Mm -hmm. But um, ours was really something that didn't really exist. So playing the role really allowed me to heal that in my life. And singing that song really allowed me to heal that. Wow. That's very moving. Oof, yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Um, and, And that's something too, like, and I don't mean to, I'm not, I'm not trying to project a specific narrative onto you, but you just reminded me of something when you said that of like, I think it's really important that Lola is a black man Yes. because of both the homophobia that can be prevalent in the black community and the racism prevalent in like the queer community. Yep. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. So the way that I became the cover and then all the rest was I took a risk um, and I walked it to the, uh, creative team to the associate creative team and I said listen I don't have to ever go on but please can I cover the part just to rehearse it I don't Mm. think that there's ever going to be dramatic because I was 24 I said this I don't think there's ever going to be a role like this for someone like me and I think I have to play it to understand it can I please just understudy to rehearse and um I mean and they said yes which I was shocked. <laughs> and, you know, so I was just that understudy going to rehearsal. And then one day no one was in the building to play the part. Billy was sick and his cover was on vacation. And so I was on and uh, Jerry and Harvey were in the house that night and everything changed since then. But I do agree that it's, that is a very important uh, fiber in the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you think too, kind of, kind of separate, but similar, like how do you think if at all did kinky boots kind of um, contribute to like, liber like a liberation for you as a gay black man major liberation for me Mm -hmm. um i was kind of pushed into it uh Hmm. replacing billy who's such a force Mm -hmm. and then harvey firestein pulling me to the side and saying leave him at the leave him at the hirschfeld you have to do you because i want you to explore all the things that you are and then i had to learn how to be brave about that so it really unleashed at one moment, it's like something cracked and it all came spilling out and I can't stop it, <laughs> you know, so. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm curious too, what was your first, perf- like, do you remember your first performance as Lola? I do. I do. I do. Were you terrified? What was that like? No, young and stupid. Because when you're 23, <laughs> you have nothing to be afraid of. I was like, we're right. doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I had to like, when I was younger, I used to have to, um slow myself down like I could feel mm. all everything happening I had to slow myself down 
Now I'm older and I have to like ramp myself up. Mm. So I'm like, oh, we're going there. But yeah, right. now I used to, they used to always have to tell me with the lines and the scenes, they're like, slow down. You have great mm. ideas. Let us enjoy them. Mm. Um, and that's a real invitation. And now that's, I live in that space. And they're saying, okay, speed it up. We get the ideas. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> Got to find the middle ground. Oh, that's yep. so funny. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Did you find any differences between the audiences in New York versus on tour? Yes. Um, the show is also directed slightly differently. I think the tour mm. was directed in a really broad way. Uh, ha ha ha. Uh, to, <laughs> to, I think, allow the audience to lean into Lola. Like the drag club is less draggy on tour mm. um, so mm. that you can immediately see the humanity. So when I came mm. back and I replaced um, Billy on Broadway, one of the big notes that I was given was like, okay, you could be in a drag club. Like, remember, you're a drag queen. Um, and remember, mm. I didn't know anything about being a drag queen except for right. being a Broadway drag queen. So I was like, I mean, I am a drag queen. <laughs> um, so I then had to dig into that life and, you know, all of that. But the audiences are really listening sooner mm-hmm. in New York. And mm. then on tour they would get on board by the time I was there. But. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. But it seems like it's one of those, like like we were saying, that message is going to resonate in any city that it's in. But that's so interesting to hear those kind of contrasts in that way. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you done any drag since, or I guess like outside of the show? Never. Never. I feel like, the, yeah, I'm so, I'm like, now I'm like the lover of all drag queens, but I'm also, I'm not a drag queen. Um, mm-hmm. I loved playing one. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there, I got to a point in the middle of it where I said, this is so fabulous. Like as actors, we get to tell stories um, and introduce people, a kind of person to an audience of people who may never otherwise meet a person like that. And so mm-hmm. I took it as like a real honor to portray and share my understanding of what someone's life might be like. But other than, mm. you see, these are all the reasons why I think if I were a drag queen, I would be like this, um, it'd be performance art. Because my head is just, you know, right. which that's a thing too. But. What do you mean? Uh, like Sasha Velour does gorgeous performance art drag. And like mm. there are lots of other, dra- drag can be anything. Um, mm-hmm. But I just don't see it within myself interesting that's so interesting I mean that's totally fair and valid I just like that that's that's the separation or the um yeah I guess like just the separation of of like you know a an acting stage role versus a persona of a drag artist like out, outside of a theater it's just something I had not thought about but look mm-hmm. at you opening my mind and my perspectives here <laughs> <laughs> and now I have to know is it true that it was Cindy Lauper or Cindy Lauper's manager, or someone in Cindy Lauper's team that asked, like, was like, when are you making a solo album? Yeah, Cindy Lauper's manager, Lisa Barberis. That happened. And I know, like, what's your life? You're- <laughs> I'm like, well, yes, amazing. <laughs> I was in California um, doing Kinky Boots, and we went out mm-hmm. for dinner and drinks afterward. We're just having a good time. And mm-hmm. she looks at me so seriously, and she goes, So, where's your first album? And I said, Huh? I don't know. She goes, where's your first album? You got to make an album. And then that day we began brainstorming what would it even be like. And I sent over some notes and she really guided me into 
what the first album would be. Did you know from the beginning, like when you were young, that you would want, like, did you have it all planned out in your head of what you would want your album to be like? No, I didn't. No. Okay. okay. <laughs> I didn't. And I think that was, I learned, learned so much about music and, well, working with Lisa, that kind of guided me. She goes, so you're going to write music or are you going to sing covers? And I had one idea, which was like, I do all of Ain't Misbehaving. And I do all the mm. parts because I love I love Fats love Waller it. and <laughs> I yes. love the storytelling of that music. And I feel like that music is a tradition that needs to keep living. Mm. Um, so I said either the Fats Waller, but I play all the parts or um, I have this other thing where I take Broadway songs and I do blah, blah, blah. And she was like, that other thing is too complicated, which is Broadway Soul Volume 1. She goes, that's too complicated. Do that for your second album. Let's lead with the Fats Waller thing. Huh. And so we start courting different rec- record labels. And here is to what kind of what we were talking about before with Kinky Boots. They came, they would come to see the show and then they would leave and call her or we'd meet afterward. And they all were like, he's incredible in the show, but who is he? Like, who is he in uh-huh. life? Who is Because when you watch Kinky Boots and you aren't Billy Porter, who has a whole storied career and is a person mm. in the public eye, I think it's very easy to believe the character. You see, you know, so is that what we're, is that what the album's going to be? Like, is he right. going to be a drag queen, which would be fine and fabulous, but it's just not who I am. Mm-hmm. So that kind of scrapped all music ideas, essentially. So the Fats Waller thing died, the record label thing huh. died. And then a few years went by and I still had this Broadway soul thing kind of kicking around. Yeah. And so then and, I just went for it. <laughs> and there was volume one. Yeah. Right. I mean, I love it. I love the idea of it because it really does remind me of, um, which is timely, Cinderella on Disney Plus now, right? But like the Brandy Cinderella, because I was just listening to it or just watching it the other day. Like, I was like, oh, the arrangements of Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella, like, is is Brandy Cinderella to me like the Julie Andrews version I learned later and I was like why is it so fast like (laughs) please give me the like soul R&B version of it so I love that you were able to combine those two sensibilities because it just like people I feel like people would or I guess I feel like people automatically assume they don't go together but they totally do yeah what I love about Broadway um are the stories right love about Mm. soul music is the feeling Broadway mm. is like so heightened and so and so is soul music and uh, so the two do match it just takes a bit of brains to put it all together and honestly um Broadway Soul Volume 1 was born out of a bit of frustration um mm. as a black artist I think sometimes our authentic musicality can be um, it doesn't get appreciated. It gets viewed as something out of vanity or, and sometimes some people do that. Sometimes that is a thing. You put a riff because I sound great doing a riff, but I don't know if all people really can tell the difference between something that's rooted in history, genre, music, artistry, and what the other thing is. And so I just living this like brave life of auditioning and really kind of having my way with audition sides and not saying I was riffing on stuff or this stuff, but I was really (laughs) pouring my humanity into a lot of things that I was doing and people loved it, but I wasn't getting jobs because it was like the feedback would often be, I never thought of it that way, but not as a positive thing. Right. It's more of like a, huh, how creative. 
and then it went someplace else. And mm. then I would see white counterparts make similar risks acting wise and sometimes even vocally and it'd be celebrated and understood because it's not expected in that package. Um, and so mm. I wanted to create something that was theater in my package that I can be theater. It can sound like yes. all of this and still be rooted in objective and intention and character. And in yes. fact, it's, um, that is a kind of inclusion, you know, mm-hmm. in saying that musical theater can sound like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so happy that you did that for that very reason. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> We're out here. What did you say? Investigating possibilities. Okay. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that is the theme of the day. Um, no, that that's so exciting. Um, and and when it came to you know producing and recording and like song selection, how did you go about that process for for the first volume? Uh, so the first one, it all started off actually. I made a YouTube series when I was in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and it started with I said I wasn't singing that much in the show, and I was frustrated. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Let's make one by one songs, covers of things. I did Run Until That was oh. the first song. Yes. Uh, sunny side of the street and i put a million different musical theater songs mm. into this soul cover of sunny side of the street slash sunny and then the show got its closing notice and these videos were mm. kind of going around pretty well so i said why not do my debut club act so i do a club act at green room 42 the day after the show closes um whoa <laughs> Busybody. I don't know. So as the show closes, I'm like at Green Room 42 doing a show. And it's all of these songs. It was called The Soul Session at the time. All these Broadway songs. Uh, one of them was My Think of Me, my disco version of Think of Me. And the night's a mm. hit. And one person walked up to me and said, can I get your arrangement of Think of Me? I really want to use that for an audition. In my head, I was like, whoa, I have something here. So instead right. of giving her the track, I'm going to make an album so <laughs> love it. I that's love what it. started all of that that's so wild yeah uh, but how cool like to see the immediacy of someone coming up being like i need this arrangement and you getting to be like let me <laughs> let me make this official first but great like that's so cool yeah. so then um for volume two, I'm so fascinated about the process because you made it during the year of our Lord 2020. <laughs> okay. When people, I, Netflix this and like, you know, baking bread that. You said, no, I'm going to make volume two, Broadway yeah. Soul. So, what, talk to me about the, the catalyst for volume two. Yeah. So, I knew I wanted to do it. When I wrapped Broadway Soul volume one, I knew that I wanted to um, make the next album all love songs. I knew that. I knew that I oh, wanted wow. to record what I did for love. Um, I was working out the concepts of a lot of those songs all the way up until the pandemic. Pandemic hits, and I'm like, we're not making any music. It's not going to happen. Gotcha. The Broadway shutdown starts to get longer and longer, and I'm realizing people are going to need some kind of theater. And I love theater. <laughs> and I knew that with this album, I wanted to push myself as a recording artist and as a creative. I really wanted to focus on storytelling. I think the first album, you can enjoy the songs one by one individually. Um, mm. And it is a work in the sense that it's an exploration of a thing. But I wanted to make an album, and this was the original idea. I wanted to make an album that was about love and you could hear a relationship begin and end. Um, that's what the original playlist was made on. If you listen, you actually still can hear that. 
But um, with theater being dead, I said, what if we package this like an old cast recording, like a cast album? Mm. And people were doing so many creative things remotely. And I was thinking, well, maybe we can record remotely. So I call mm. Sonny Palladino, who was the music director of Smokey Joe's Cafe. And I say, do you think we can do this? Because my brain doesn't know how, but I think yours does. And he says, yes. Um, so then we raised money on Kickstarter for this project that in my mind, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, so it's going to be like a musical. That, like you can read the synopsis of it and listen to the story as it goes along. So if it's a story, we need guest artists. So I call Shoshana Bean and I say, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> because <laughs> we've been trying to sing for a while, but her schedule is insane. Um, mm-hmm. And mine, you know, is and not at the same time sometimes. So yeah. she was stuck at home. She goes, well, what do you want to sing? So then I have to think about what do you want to sing? So right. I go, okay, Gloria Flow. And she says, great, sounds awesome. So we have Shoshana Bean. I asked Natalie, I asked Blaine, and we have something. So we raise my own Kickstarter. And all the while I'm thinking, this isn't actually going to happen because we have to get $16,000. I'm like, $16,000 in a pandemic, we're not going to get it, which uh, is fine. This will all have been a great experiment, is what I tell myself. Right, right. And then we get about 18000 We get like more than that. <laughs> and oh. I'm like, okay, so we're actually going to do this. So right. then, uh, we, I had two producers who helped me buy, helped me pick the right microphone, set up a recording studio in my closet in Harlem. There you go. We had to arrange the album via Zoom calls. So, and we had to record all of our mistakes. So like doing it remotely, essentially what that means is first you record the piano, then you record the drum, then you record a scratch vocal. Then you send that to the guitar, to the bass, to the, all the other band members. You see what you have and you say, okay, we have to change the beginning. We have to change the end. And then you do it all over again <laughs> until you have something solid. Right. The album was loved into position, as Andre de Shields would say. Everyone mm. really, really loved it to the point that days before it was supposed to be sent to mastering, um, the producers were adding, oh, this needs symbols here, or this needs that there, you know. It was, I'm just so proud of it. Yeah. And like you said, what an interesting experiment. Like, it was successful, which makes it all the better, but, like, you really just got to see how to to produce an album in this way. Like, that's such an exciting life experience. Yeah. No matter how unprecedented. Yeah. Um, I really appreciated Sugar Daddy being on there. With Jackie yeah. Cox. Um, would you ever want to play the role Hedwig? Yes. Yes. Producers, are you listening to this podcast? Because <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> yes, I would love that. Did you get to see the production on Broadway? I didn't. I didn't get to. I think I was I think I was in Kinky at the time. But yeah, I get yeah, that might my partner left, yeah. loves it. They're totally different queens. That's I really want to play with danger moving forward. Like all the roles Ooh. that I'm interested in are dangerous. That's a color Ooh. that I don't get to show too much. So yeah. Oh wait, let's. I want more of this. Tell me about exploring danger. So so yeah, you don't get to explore it a lot. And so what's what's drawing you to it? I guess. Um, well, because I think that vulnerability and danger are really they're very um, close. They're opposites. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that mm. something I'm very, really good at, something I've gotten to play with a lot, is vulnerability. But I wonder what would mm. happen if I got to play with more dangerous roles. And the idea is the vulnerability is like bubbling underneath you have to protect it it's like a shell um 
Yeah, that's where I'm living these days. <laughs> these days, I like it. Okay, I'm into this. Uh, I like. Let me become a producer, and you'll do Hedwig. I can't wait. Let's do it. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah. Danger, and honestly, like vulnerability to me feels dangerous. I'm like, oof. Yeah, I, that place is hard to go to. But um, but yeah, seeing the the similarities and differences between that would be so interesting as an actor. I am sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the other roles that I'm crazy about, Jimmy Early in Dreamgirls. I think that for obvious reasons, it's a fun part. But I think that acting wise, it's like this is a scared, a terrified person inside of, you know, the challenges of show business, which Mm -hmm. then inside of the challenges of being a black man in the world. And he's like, he starts the show sitting on top of like this golden hoard, right? And he knows at any moment he can be kicked off. And I think that oftentimes you see the character and you see a lot of the the loud, unexpected parts, but there's, I don't always feel a reason why. So I want to play mm. with that like fear and vulnerability and how it can channel someone to be erratic and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Human stuff. I like the human stuff. The human stuff, baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and I do feel like you did that, you know, with this new album too of like, of showing it, it, what I did for love too, I think was such a beautiful way to end it because like it can, it can mean so love can mean so many different things. And I feel like that song captures it, you know, all, all the, the humanity and the humanness like you're talking about. Um, and theater is like such a great venue for exploring those kind of like murky moralities. I feel like is what, yeah. you know, I've heard that described as, um, but for the listeners, if you have not listened to Broadway Soul Volume 2, put it in your queue. And, and album cover, the album cover, it was shot by podcast alum, fellow podcast alum, Mark J. Franklin. Yeah. Um, and it looks, I mean, it, it captures just such a fun vibe. And I'm like, uh, I'm kind of upset I wasn't there for the photo shoot. I have no reason to have been there, <laughs> but I wish I had. <laughs> it was fabulous. I mean, this whole thing is like this wild active collaboration in a time where we should not have been where we were told we shouldn't be collaborating and we did it all safely um it's not like we're in person uh, hugging up on each other but (laughs) i was talking the other day with my partner about like art was never i don't think that art was born out of um convenience but it was born out of necessity Mm. and so Mm. i think this is kind of my tribute to that sentiment um that yeah while there's so much that is gone there is so much still to be born. Um, so mm. I'm really, I'm happy this exists. I love that. You were giving like so many pull quotes, okay? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So to that end, what, what are you, I guess, hoping the theater will be like when we come back? And, and what are you as an artist wanting to bring back to the theater when it returns? Yeah, I hope that the theater is a curious place. I hope mm. that there's more curiosity. I think that Broadway is a community of such gorgeous, imaginative, um, caring individuals. Um, And I think that somewhere along the line, we lost our curiosity here Mm. and there. Curiosity for humanity, curiosity for circumstance, what things can look like and what they actually have to look like. So I hope there's more curiosity. And what I want to bring back to theater when we come back is all my stuff. I want to bring my humanity. I think that the first part of my career was fabulous and I was getting to know a lot of things and people. um, And I was learning how to color within the lines, um, Mm. playing safe. 
And now I want to collaborate with Maligns, but bring all of the things I know and feel from life to the work. Yeah. Again, that humanity, right? Multidimensional human beings. Okay. That's what we need to be talking about yep. and investigating and exploring. Um, well, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited f- to, to, see to see your continued contribution sorry I'm getting I'm tripping over my words because I'm just like overwhelmed in the best way because (laughs) I think like it takes a lot of courage to make art and to like you said like you know be vulnerable um and I just think you do such a beautiful job at it and um yeah yeah so I'm, I'm so excited to see you know not even like what happens before theater returns and all the art you'll be making and creating um and hopefully we get to witness too so I appreciate that but um the final two questions to wrap up the podcast um, are as follows. Number one, um, if you could recommend a piece of black art, whether that's like a TV show or, or a music album, movie, etc., cetera, um, a book, what would it be? My bit of black art, my piece of black art that I'd like to offer and recommend to everyone is this book that I really, really love. Um, it's called All Boys Aren't Blue, a memoir manifesto written by George M. Johnson. This book um, was so good. And I wish that I had it when I was a young black queer kid um, Mm. because that's what it is. It is a novel about growing up black and queer. And I'm like, I want to buy this book and give it to my entire family and say, there, let's heal together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like y'all are on the journey now of healing? Yes, I do. Um, but man, oh man, it's been one. I think my first album, Broadway Soul Volume 1, I do a version of I Feel Pretty on that album. Mm-hmm. And I mix I Feel Pretty and Say It Loud and Black and I'm Proud in one moment, but I change it to Say It Loud and Pretty and Proud. And I never thought that that song would create such a divide in my family. I mean, mm-hmm. only everyone's calling me all the time. There was a period of time where no one was calling me. And <laughs> my mom, my mom, my little sister, always. But you know, my aunts, they weren't calling me. And I released this album and I'm thinking, huh. I mean, even if the music wasn't good, someone releases an album, you're like, hey, you did a thing. Congratulations. Nothing. Mm. Mm. And we began to have, I finally called my aunt and said, what's that about? And we began to have one of those uncomfortable yet necessary conversations. And what we got very clear on was that her version of me was based in my fear-based childhood, where you're not living Mm. your life for you, you're trying to just stay safe. And I think often our families don't think about that. Even my whole family's known that I was gay since I was a little kid. But they don't Mm. think about the signals that you're being sent that are saying, this world is not a kind world for someone like you. So, Mm. you know, she said, I never knew you to dress like this or do that. And I'm like, did you ever think that you've not yet met the most authentic version of me? Mm. I invite you to Mm. meet me and um it was a hard conversation but now the release of the second album i was i terrified not terrified that's too strong of a word i was curious to see how they were going to respond to my duet with blaine alden kraus uh what about love from the color purple Mm -hmm. but i knew i wanted it on the album because it was necessary to put the image of two black men loving each other into the world I wanted to create that vulnerable space. The album comes out, 
they have nothing but amazing things to say. And one of the kindest was, your heart really comes through on this one. So we've made this journey a year later, you know, and it's not always pretty, but we're we're getting better. Yeah. Yeah. It is not always pretty and it is not always fast. Um, So thank you for sharing that with us because I know it is like a very vulnerable um, process, you know, and, and to articulate out loud. So I appreciate that. Um, for the second question, if you give a shout out to a fellow black artist, who would it be? Or if you just want to give some love to some artists that I want you to feel restricted. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I'm going to choose one, even though it's hard. I'm going to say Britton Smith, Britton in the Spring. <gasps> I love oh! her so much. Me too. <laughs> yes. So much. Listen to them all the time. You want to talk about authenticity and mm, using your baby. power to free other people. He lives it every single day. So, Amen. Yeah, you're. It's it's that freedom. It's that release. It's that like yeah, like you said, authenticity that just radiates. Yeah. off that stage where I, I mean, I I seriously feel like I've had like spiritual transcendent experiences there. So I I heavily co-sign this. I <laughs> yes. love it. Yep. That is great. Um, ooh, you, see, you got me so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's, amen, so amen. it's so good so great yeah shout out to Britton smith really doing it and doing it for the right reasons with intention with purpose so yes whoo all right i'm sweating <laughs> <laughs> well i'm so glad we got to chat with you today if folks want to uh you know learn more about broadway soul volume 2 and just follow your journey on social media where can they find you yeah you can find me on everything my handle is ktp way like broadway KTP-way. but my way ktp way Look at that. Look at you out here doing it. I love it. Yes, yes, and yes. I have had such a blast getting to know you today. I know this is just the beginning for our friendship. I'm so excited. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Until next time, y'all. 